You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Michael Howell, the CEO of Cross Border Capital. Hi, Michael. Hi, Maggie. How are you doing? I'm doing okay for a Monday, although I have to say it feels like a a little bit of a sort of stressful one. You know, investors definitely seem on edge. We have U.S. stocks trading lower than ASDAQ bearing the brunt, and that selling seemed to accelerate a little bit in the afternoon. We have the 10-year Treasury hanging around 3% as everyone waits for uh, the big CPI, inflation data, PPI that's coming later this week, um, Wednesday's CPI, and, and we have the U.S. dollar continuing to strengthen. So, you know, as you look across the sort of dashboard, what's really top of mind for you? Dollar, I think, unquestionably. Dollar's uh, going up. It's going up more. Uh, it's, uh, I think, as your colleague Roel said, it's a wrecking ball. And uh, it's uh, it's likely to cause the euro to trade below one. I think the euro was testing parity today. It's probably going to go a long way below that. If you want to forecast the euro, just take a look at the Japanese yen, see what that's done. Um, dollar is definitely going higher. And I think yeah. that's been the policy of uh, of the U.S. the U.S. authorities this year. It's simply been a question of getting the balance sheet down, the Fed balance sheet down, and the U.S. dollar up. It's as straightforward as that. Markets won't like that. They don't. Yeah. And I know, I you know, we, we throw around that term, the, the U.S. dollar wrecking ball, but ca- ca- why is it, first of all, why is it top of mind for you? And why is it so concerning when you see such, and it's been rapid, hasn't it? The, the strengthening too. It's going kind to of moving quickly, which I know worries people as well. What are the, some of the, some of the implications of that? What worries you about that? And why do we think of it as a wrecking ball? Well, I think the, the implications are pretty huge, I think. And you, you've got to think outside the box in many ways. But I think as a starting point, let's uh, go back to the international monetary system uh, and let's quickly dismiss these ideas that there's a Bretton Woods 3 or a Bretton Woods 2. There's only ever been a Bretton Woods one, and that Bretton Woods one, which was established back in 1944, put the U.S. dollar at the center of the international monetary system. Uh, transactions were centered in dollars that uh, enabled the free flow of capital and trade around the world. Uh, the U.S. economy may well have shrunk in size uh, since that point uh, in terms of percentages of the world, but the dollar has maintained its role as the premier currency, and it keeps getting stronger. And a lot of economists have predicted the demise of the dollar you know, all too frequently over the last three or four decades, they've been absolutely and completely wrong. Uh, so the fact is the dollar is still there. It's still the primary currency worldwide for transactions purposes. 
And then I think you've got to start to look at what the Federal Reserve and the Treasury have been doing, uh, maybe surreptitiously, slowly, but uh, definitively in the last decade since the global financial crisis. And what they've done is put it in uh, maybe a, a neat way is to say they've opened branch offices around the world. So swap lines uh, are the critical way of now uh, of America controlling the flow of dollars worldwide. And you could argue that in this context, the rise in the dollar means quite a lot. Now, if it's a wrecking ball, the question is, where is that wrecking ball pointed? And I would venture it's pointed at China. And one of the things that the Chinese have been trying to do uh, deliberately uh, for the last five years is to stabilize the Chinese yuan, because that is a platform for financializing their economy, which they need. Uh, the US, if it wants to compete with China, cannot allow that. Now, I take you back to February of this year and look at what happened to the Japanese yen. Japanese yen in 40 trading days devalued an annualized rate of 82%. In my time in markets, I have never, ever seen markets do that. Only governments have done that. This must be a deliberate act. There must be complicity in that. I think the yen is a Trojan horse. It's trying to uh, shake up or shake the tree in China. And look at the, uh, look at the outcry that the US Treasury made when the Vietnamese dong uh, devalued. Okay, unfair trading, that was you know, manipulation of currency. Has anyone said anything about the Japanese yen? This is one of America's biggest trading partners, and you've seen an absolute collapse in the Japanese currency. No one has muttered a word. That's so interesting, Michael. So, so your theory is that the US and Japanese officials are working in tandem, uh, that this is policy to try to contain China. That's an implication, for sure. You know, the, the difficult thing about doing something like that, though, is, of course, there's risk everywhere, whether, you know, it's unintended consequences or once you open that Pandora's box, what happens? Raul, as you mentioned, we were talking about, he was on the daily briefing on Friday, and he's also watching the currency markets really closely. And in particular, the the rapidly strengthening dollar, and he's worried about the impact. But but what I, I think that the the sort of fallout he's thinking about longer term. This is longer term is a lot wider than that. Let's have a listen to what he said, and then we'll talk on the other side. But you know, it looks like we are in the dollar wrecking ball cycle. Where if we are not careful, we are going to repeat 1985 all over again, which is when we ended up into the Plaza Accord. So uh, I urge anybody to reread the book, The um, Alchemy of Finance by George Soros, because he keeps a trading diary of the whole period of 84 to 85, which was a very similar oil price, recession, blah, blah, blah. But the issue was the dollar. And the dollar backed off for a while as the Fed started cutting in 84. Um, which was part of his big trade. His big trade was the bond market trade. The the dollar backed off, and then it rocketed higher, which is the kind of way that we see it now. There's a shortage of dollars. And if it rockets much higher, then we start breaking parity against the euro. We start, you know, the dollar-yen started moving a lot. This is a bad setup, and there is a probability, and I don't think it's my base case, that we we have a real problem with the dollar. And in which case we end up with having to have some sort of plaza accord agreement, which is something we should be nervous of because that kind of agreement is not going to be with the US talking about reducing the dollar as much as others saying we need to move away from the dollar, which is something I've talked about for a long time. You know, one of the whole thesis behind the Bitcoin life raft video that many millions of people have seen 
is about this very situation of of the the strength and the dominance of the dollar. The do- dollar, the U.S. economy is twenty five percent of the world's economy and eighty seven percent of every single trade transaction on Earth. So it's everybody else's problem, and the world has kind of had enough of it. And a lot of people think the dollar dies from weakness, but I think the dollar dies from strength. And that full interview, the full show available to everyone on the platform and on our YouTube channel free. Um, if I, if you missed it, I encourage you to go check it out because Raul kind of in-depth lays out his macro framework. Um, but Michael, you know, the, the dollar's problem and, and demise might be Raul's sort of probability that he's toying with might be its strength, not its weakness, because it's just unsustainable for this rapid, I mean, it may be the policy with Japan, but everywhere else you see what's happening in Sri Lanka, you know, things break when the dollar is this strong, especially when you're looking at emerging markets. Is that something you're worried about? Could we see financial system strain just because countries are unable to deal with this rapid appreciation of the U.S. dollar? Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge risk. And I think what Rail has just said ought to be listened to. Uh, you know, he makes an awful lot of sense in what he's just said. Uh, you know, if you take a look at global liquidity, and there's, a, I think, a chart you can flash up looking at the global liquidity index. Uh, you know, our, our remit across border capital is all about understanding liquidity flow. Markets are driven by liquidity. And if you look at what's happened, there's been a roller coaster ride uh, lately in terms of liquidity. Liquidity shot up during the COVID crisis. It clearly elevated asset markets. Uh, I mean, that, that's why everything's gone up so much in the last two years. And now liquidity is crashing. And that's why you've got a bear market in most risk assets. And uh, as you rightly say, Maggie, uh, at some stage, something's going to break. And when it breaks, the Federal Reserve will pivot. Now, when is that pivot coming? You know, who knows? I would guess it's going to come sometime around the turn of 2023. Uh, So we're probably six months away. But in that time, what you're going to see is a lot of damage done. Uh, In our estimation, uh, the world economy is already in recession. Uh, Asia was there probably a month or so ago. Uh, Europe's probably there this month. The American economy may be a month or two behind, but uh, we're definitely looking at a at a global recession, and that's what the slumping commodity prices are basically telling us. Now, if you look at uh, you know what has really mattered in this, it's not simply the Federal Reserve, but it's also what the People's Bank of China has been doing. And I'll link back to what I was saying about shaking the Chinese tree and the dollar going up. Well, what the Chinese have been trying to do is to stabilize the Chinese yuan currency against the US dollar, they're struggling. But in terms of doing that, they're taking liquidity out of their financial markets. There is a myth going around, and that myth has been perpetrated for years, that China is always on the brink of easing. And I don't know how many times I can count hearing that uh, in recent months, but they just simply are not. There's another chart which will show you the damage that China is doing, what the People's Bank's liquidity injections are basically uh, highlighting. Uh, is a very close correlation with commodity prices. The footprint of the Chinese economy is huge. The People's Bank of China controls the Chinese economy. And if the People's Bank of China squeezes liquidity, you're going to get commodity prices going down. And you know you can see evidently from the chart, there's a, a red line, which is People's Bank of China liquidity injections going south very quickly. Uh, it's being followed by the dotted line, which is basically looking at non-oil commodity prices. And even if you include oil in that equation, which is the yellow line, you'll see that uh, you know, the correlation is pretty close. Uh, and China matters for the world economy. The Federal Reserve matters a lot for financial markets. And I think if you want to split it, 
from an equity perspective, uh, the Federal Reserve controls the PE on the market. Uh, well, that's been going down because the Fed's been squeezing. And China basically controls the E. Now, the message from the E has still got to hit us, but it, believe me, it's coming. Uh, earnings are going to be decimated in the next six to 12 months. Uh, the Federal Reserve has already caused a lot of damage. But you can just, just take a look at the Federal Reserve liquidity injections, which I think I, I put forward in another chart, which basically shows the movements of uh, the, what we call the effective Fed balance sheet, which is the amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve actually puts in to American money markets on a weekly basis, and the S&P 500. And you'll see that the, the correlation is just remarkably close. Uh, if you don't believe that liquidity matters, uh, you just take a look at this chart. The, uh, the red line is Federal Reserve uh, liquidity injections. Um, and the yellow line is the is the SPX, the S&P 500. Uh, I mean, it's been just moving absolutely in step uh, over recent months. Now, it's interesting to discuss the inflection point. The inflection point came on December 15th. Uh, that was the time when Jay Powell was, uh, was basically appointed again. Uh, it was the time when they dropped the transitory uh, narrative from inflation. And it was when you got a couple of big prints on the CPI and unemployment. That was the FOMC that mattered. And basically, mm -hmm. since then, they've taken liquidity out of the system, and hence the market's gone down. A trillion dollars has come out of US money markets courtesy of the Federal Reserve. They've done that surreptitiously. It's not the public QE that they figure is starting this month. It's already been going on for six months. That's why the market's down. So if you follow that along, there seems to be no signs of them turning the liquidity spigot back on. You've got fiscal contraction potentially at the same time, especially if the Republicans get, uh, you know, take over control of Congress, which they look likely to do. Uh, does that mean more downside for the S&P? And, and, you know, how much more pain could there be ahead? Well, you just draw, take, a, take a ruler and draw a straight line on that graph, and you'll see that if the Federal Reserve intentions of taking another, what, between one and two trillion out of their balance sheet over the next 12, 18 months, you're looking at an S&P 3000. Uh, if they make a mistake, hey, that's possible. They're only human. Uh, you could be down to 2,500. I mean, these, these could be, this is, this is a severe uh, test of the market. And against that back, backdrop, uh, you've got the potential of a US recession. It's the recession that will, or a credit crisis and a recession that will cause the Fed to pivot, as it always does. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Uh, I, I want to cycle in some questions here because we have some great ones. I, and I think we answered this one already, but Paul E. on the exchange, China's factory inflation cooled in June to the lowest in 15 months, which appears uh, that the country is bucking the global trend of accelerating prices. What are your thoughts? Is this due to where you see they are in terms of recession? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, China's not only got the COVID crisis to cope with, it's got the uh, the People's Bank of China squeezing liquidity. And the squeezing liquidity comes back to uh, the fact that uh, the, the US dollar is strong. I mean, when I, you know, years ago, when I worked at Salomon Brothers, the, the sort of the, the motto of the firm was there is no unrelated event in financial markets. 
And that's absolutely spot on. Uh, that's what's going on. It's a strong dollar that's affecting this. It's causing China to tighten, and hence, factory prices are down. Any sign that if the dollar remains strong, does that tie China's hands? Uh, if they see the economy weakening, they've got this rolling. I mean, there are new variants over there. They're still in severe lockdown. We saw protests on the streets in China, which is unheard of. Uh, after some deposits were frozen, I mean, it seems that you know the frustration is really building. That is something that uh, Chinese authorities have to be extremely aware of and uncomfortable. Any chance that we could see a change in their policy in terms of stimulating their economy? Well, it will come. There was an announcement or a uh, a rumor, let's say, uh, on Bloomberg that they're slated to uh, enact a 1.5 uh, trillion yuan uh, infrastructure package. Uh, the markets breathe a great sigh of relief, but hey, let's put that in context. That's one half of a percentage point of overall Chinese liquidity. Big deal, okay? That's not going to that's not going to change the dial at all. Uh, what they need to do is first substantial easing of liquidity, and that may happen. But I think that's got to uh, you know that's got to await uh, Xi Jinping's sort of uh, uh, appointment once again as supreme leader, uh, and that may be an October November event. But I guess behind the scenes, as you know, in most communist regimes, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know a sous table of deals going on uh, to basically promise money for different areas if people vote for him. So I guess you're going to see the spigots open there later this year. Uh, the Fed will be doing a similar exercise maybe early in 2023. Yeah, a horse trading around politics is something I think we're all familiar with. Uh, 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 Yankee Duke on the exchange asking, what's the most effective way, other than through futures markets, to position for the coming credit crisis? Oh, I think it's an easy one, buy U.S. Treasuries. Hmm. Uh, yeah, or cash, but you know, you buy the uh, the 10-year or, or the U.S. long bond, I think pretty, pretty good trade there. Uh, because as far as I can see, I mean, inflation is going to be, I mean, inflation is stubborn. We, we got to appreciate that. But if there's a recession in the sort of magnitude we're thinking of, uh, that's going to crush price increases pretty quickly. And people want bonds. And the, the fact is there is a shortage of safe assets out there in the system. Um, you know, look at, you know, the other alternatives may have been the Japanese yen, but hey, look, that's just been trashed. Uh, it could have been the Bund uh, in, uh, in Europe, German Bund. But the euro is weak. And you look at the performance of the bond on the price charts, it looks pretty ugly. That's no longer a safe asset. So you're back to the US dollar being the only safe haven worldwide. So it's going to be a lot of international money moving into treasuries. Uh, do, you know, people have been looking at that bond trade and then it's been a little tough because they, they the, there was a feeling that bonds had peaked. People got stopped out of positions because we, we've seen that pull and push between recession. But then we get these big inflation prints again. Do you think we've seen the peak in the 10 year bond yields or is it is it going to be a little uh, volatile as we sort of look well, at those I, two factors? Okay. I, I think we have famous last words. I thought that um, the 3% barrier would hold. It broke above that. We know it's come back. It's currently around 3%. I think that's a pretty good level to be buying US treasuries. Uh, the reason for that is that the way that we look at the curve is to split it into two halves. We look at the front end, which is all about uh, uh, forward guidance and rate expectations. And we look at the back end, which is all about term premia. Uh, term premia are negative, but they're going to go a lot more negative uh, if you get a recession in the U.S. and the demand for treasuries will jump, uh, and that will push term premium lower. So I think what you've got is basically the prospect of a flattening at, uh, at the back end of the curve. I think in terms of the front end, let's look at one three. I think that basically 
uh, 3% is the limit as as far as the Fed uh, probably will be able to go. Uh, so I would think you're probably looking at a peak in, uh, in, in rates there, and you're going to get some flattening at the front end too. So in my estimation, the long end of the market's worth buying right now. Uh, I think the inflation, you know, inflation has probably peaked, still going to take two to three years to come right down. But I think the direction is, is pretty clear. So I think treasuries look good. And I think set against that, you look at the high yield market, there are clearly a lot of credit problems going on. And I fully foresee yields going up in the high yield space, single B, at least another 100 basis points. But the yield cushion you've got probably means looking over 12 months, you may be near break even um, because these are relatively short duration bonds. Uh, Bob from the RV site asking about your thoughts on the US dollar and gold. Well, gold, don't worry about for the moment. Um, and I think, you know, in my view, gold is probably not the sort of asset to think about in the context of a coming monetary inflation. Uh, gold, like many risk assets, responds not to high street inflation. It responds to monetary inflation. Mm-hmm. High street inflation is a combo between cost inflation and monetary inflation. But uh, really, gold moves because of monetary inflation. The best asset to buy if you believe in monetary inflation uh, is cryptocurrency without any question in my mind. So if you if you want to take a pump that the Fed's going to pivot, go into Bitcoin. Uh, you'll make a lot of money out of that. Uh, but it may be a very tough six months. There's no question about that. Uh, these assets do not like uh, monetary tightness, and that's what we've got going on right now. So I think as regards the uh, the price of gold, it's not going to perform during a monetary deflation, which is what's going on right now, but it will perform in a monetary inflation, but Bitcoin will beat it. Wow. So do you think Bitcoin and, and risk assets, particularly in NASDAQ, uh, move in tandem again because they they did seem to on the way down really yeah. track each other. Would you expect when you see a turn for them both to turn at the same time? Yeah, no, no question. Uh, because they they're long duration assets and long duration assets respond to liquidity, and you know that that's what we've got going on. I think the you know the the pain trade, uh, and I think there's another chart which we which you can flash up, which is called uh, I think the U.S. dollar monetary base. I mean, this is the pain trade right now. And you can, in fact, there are two charts there, but let me just talk about both of them. The one on the left-hand side is looking at uh, world central bank liquidity. Now, you know, that, that, uh, that roller coaster is just unbelievable. The dotted line refers to the percentage of central banks that are easing. And you can just about see that's a uh, big zero, big fat zero. So no central banks are easing right now worldwide. This is a measure of about 90 central banks around the world. So they're all tightening. The chart on the, on the, uh, on the right-hand side, which is kind of an interesting one, that's what we call the US dollar monetary base. And what that looks at is both the Federal Reserve balance sheet and the stock of dollars held worldwide. Uh, so that includes what oil producers effectively create, what oil consumers spend and whatever. What you're seeing or what you've seen in June through June is the Fed has actually paused a bit, funnily enough, in June. But actually, the foreign element of those dollars, the offshore dollars, have absolutely cracked. And the reason they've cracked is that people have to spend a lot of money on paying for higher commodity prices. So if you look at that collapse in the US dollar monetary base, it's worse than 2008. Now, you know, we're not getting a 2008, we hope, but this is the, this measures how bad this liquidity squeeze is. So look, recession, it's coming, believe me. There's, there's no way to avoid that. Even if the Fed pivots tomorrow, we've got it. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. What, so why why aren't we facing? I mean, why aren't we facing something on the magnitude of two thousand eight? Uh, the banks are better capitalized. We know that they've been stress tested. I don't know whether you think that's what it is, but we're seeing all these extreme moves. I mean, the fact that you say I've never seen anything like that in my career. I feel like across so many parts of the market, people are saying that that's, that would seem to portend that something is going to break or there's serious stress in the market. Why wouldn't we see some sort of financial contagion? Yeah. Great, great question. I think that, and that's, that's probably the, the key one. I would say because the authorities are much better placed now, to un- they understand the system, they understand the plumbing in, a, in much better ways than they did in 2008, and they will move with alacrity. And you know what you've got, as I foreshadowed earlier on, are effectively branch offices of the Federal Reserve, which basically have been set up around the world for friends. Now, one of the things I would urge all your listeners to go and listen to is uh, Janet Yellen's speech in April to the Atlantic Council called Friendshoring, and that basically tells you what US policy is. And that was basically saying, are you a friend of America? Are you a foe of America? If you're a friend, you'll trade with America and you can get dollars. If you're a foe, see you later. Uh, It's basically, it's as simple as that. It's a very bifurcated binary policy. And uh, that's what's going to happen. So if you're a friend of America and you want dollars, the Federal Reserve will be there to help you. If you're a foe, you won't get those. So I think that's, that's point number one. Point number two is, as you rightly say, the banking system is much, much more robust and I think that the authorities understand the use of collateral much better in the system, and therefore they will move with alacrity. That is what will cause the pivot, and that's why we're going to start going up again. And the, the essence at the end of the day in understanding this financial system is that interest rates matter far, far less than the volume of liquidity, because what we've got is massive debt overhanging us. Mm-hmm. If you've got $300 trillion of debt in the world economy, it has to be refinanced. So for an average duration of five years, you're talking of $60 trillion has to be refinanced every year, right? You need balance sheet capacity to do that. The Federal Reserve controls balance sheet capacity in the US, and therefore if the Fed shrinks its balance sheet, you, you lose that capacity. And hence you get refinancing crises. And that's been the history of the last one to two decades, always these refinancing crises. But the Federal Reserve will have to come back to improve the situation and add liquidity. Otherwise, the system will fail. I think they understand that much more now. The error they've made, and all central banks have made, not just the Fed, is keeping interest rates too low for too long because it incentivizes debt. Incentivizes debt. We want to get rid of debt. We don't want to encourage it. What they should be doing is lending freely uh, at a high rate of interest against good collateral. That was the so-called Badger Rule that was established in the 19th century in Britain, which actually had a similar financial system to the world financial system now. It's just you know, a historical echo, but that's how they solved it then. And that's what central bankers should be doing, getting interest rates up, discouraging debt, but having plentiful liquidity if you need to refinance your positions. So this ra- this raises a very interesting point because uh, you know presumably they've got access to the same history books you do. Could we be in a situation where, because of what we see in inflation, because they understand the need to service debt, that 
we do we are looking at higher rate environment and they're going to use the liquidity lever instead of the interest rate lever everyone expects them when things get tight and and start to break to just ease again to just do the same thing they've done flood the system could it look different this time well it could yeah i think for sure but i think the the fact is that if you if you want to avoid a debt crisis a refinancing crisis as we saw before for example in the repo markets many times you've got to add a lot of liquidity to the system because you need to roll over positions so liquidity is coming that's absolutely for sure and it will end up in long duration assets as it always does that's inevitable will they have a higher level of interest rates in the long term i hope so uh, but i don't think it's necessarily guaranteed because central bankers are still focused on interest rates and the problem is that the Federal Reserve has, I don't know, how many is it? 120 PhD economists? How many PhD historians do they have? That's what they need. And maybe some fi- and maybe some people who are thick in the markets worrying about counterparty risk. That always seems to be the thing that sneaks out uh, and bites us when these exactly. things happen. A question about from, from John A., how does a strong dollar wreck the U.S. economy? And I think this is what Raul's touching on because you think, oh, strong dollar. And, you know, I, I in my conversation with Raul said long ago, you know, we used to have Treasury secretaries repeat that ad nauseum. Bob Rubin sort of, you know, had that famous stamp. No matter what you asked him, he'd say strong dollar in U.S. interest. Uh, but too strong a dollar. How how does that undermine U.S. interest? How can that come back to bite the U.S.? Well, I think that's, that's a that's a very good question, and I'm I'm not too I'm not sure I can answer that because I'm not convinced that it is necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Uh, you look at uh, maybe look at the Swiss economy and look how well the Swiss economy uh, benefits from a strong Swiss franc. Uh, I mean, okay, it may hurt the manufacturing industries, but on the other hand, the rest of the economy does pretty well out of it. And I think that's that's what you've got to balance in the U.S. Is a strong dollar necessarily a bad thing? Now, I would say if you're in a situation where America wants to export capital, uh, and let's say for argument's sake, it wants to buy up some cheap European assets, uh, what what better to have a strong dollar? Yeah, I guess those who th- those who see risk uh, um, it are is probably from a geopolitical, you know, this bifurcation of the world and 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 the geopolitical, you know, fallout from that. I mean, it's a very longer term issue, but it's. It's probably that's probably as I think about it, where where that concern lies more than economic. Um, Michael, I want to get your uh, thoughts on I, I heard you mention buy bonds now. Is that the trade you like the most in this environment right now? Bonds? Yeah, I, I, I figure that's right. I think that uh, I mean, you know, our position is to basically have been having quite a lot of cash uh, over the last six months. Uh, I think it's I mean, we're a, a tad too early, a couple of months too early or maybe favoring the fixed income markets bond markets, but I think that we're, we're, my view, we're there anyway. I think in terms of the credit markets, uh, the high yield, I think we're still a few months away, but I think we're getting closer. I mean, the yield cushions you've got are uh, getting quite substantial now. And uh, when we're, if we're in recession now, this is very interesting to me because you share the view of, of several, uh, certainly, uh, members that we've had on recently, but there are plenty out there who say, well, recession's coming, but not till next year. Um, this is really important because if you think we're in recession now, then we're that much further along in the cycle. And then the Fed yeah. pivot would be sooner rather than later. So, you know, when do you see that playing out and uh, um, what kind of duration are we looking at for the recession? Is yeah. it, is it down sharp and short and do we, and, and is 23 looking better or is this drag in and that, and that pivot in turn comes much later into 2023, as some believe. Well, I think, you know, sort of spoiler alert, those people that are saying recession 2023 are all economists. 
right? People that are saying uh, recession now are basically market experts. And they're looking at uh, you know the entrails of the markets, looking at what commodity prices are doing, looking at what credit spreads are doing, looking at what uh, you know uh, trade sensitive currencies are saying, uh, and that basically tells you the world is already in recession. Uh, and I think that's the evidence that the market has already been telling us anyway. That's what the fixed income markets are screaming. That's what the credit markets are definitely telling us. So I think all that that's true. I think in terms of the scale of it, uh, from what we can gather at the moment, uh, it looks a little bit like the uh, Y2K recession in size, uh, maybe in duration, uh, that, that could be an equivalent one. Bear in mind that uh, real M2 growth in the US is now negative. Uh, that's always been a, a precursor to inflation, to recession rather. Uh, and, you know, that is another sort of, you know, nailed uncertainty. But I, I, you know, I would say that, you know, don't expect a 2008. I don't think it's going to be anything like as bad as that. But you've got, you know, there's been a lot of evidence of inventory build, uh, you know, Walmart, et cetera, Target. I mean, all the evidence is there. Uh, housing markets weak, et cetera. And you're starting to see initial claims uh, for unemployment beginning to pick up. But the issue is, is that, you know, what's at the front of the cycle? Are things like housing and inventory build. And what's at the back of the cycle is unemployment. So by the time the unemployment numbers confirm recession, we're probably already six months through it. Michael, I can't think of a better way to sort of tee up this week, given all the data that's going to come out at us and the volatility that seems to be in the market. So we so appreciate you coming on and sharing your views. Real pleasure. Thanks so much, Maggie. It's great to catch up with you. And thanks to all of you for watching. The Daily Briefing will be back same time tomorrow. Andreas Steno-Larsen will be back with Tony Greer. So cue up those commodity questions. Thanks so much. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.